Carl here from Games, Brains and Headbanging Life, GBHBL.com for sure. And you're about to listen and watch an interview we conducted with Richard Oakes and Adam Leader, the co-writers, directors, everything to do with the British indie horror film host. The synopsis of the movie goes like this. On Christmas Eve, an innocent couple become host to a malicious unknown entity that takes its form as an ominous glowing light. The two make their way into a family's house, terrorising them throughout the night in unimaginably violent, disturbing and supernatural ways. These demonic possessions mark the beginning of a worldwide supernatural takeover. Now, Richard Oakes and Adam Leader built a large buzz within the YouTube community after becoming renowned for the climbing success of their filmmaking channel, Dark Fable Media. They decided to take crowdfunding to the next level by offering their YouTube fanbase the opportunity to invest in hosts in return for shares in the profits. Within a matter of weeks, they had successfully raised all of the money to greenlight the production. Richard Adam and the other producers of Host, Gillian Williams and Craig Hindy, set out to recruit a solid team of cast and crew. And upon completing the film, they then went on to sell Host to horror giants, Dark Sky Films, which secured successful US and Canadian deals, enabling them to pay every penny back to their YouTube investors. Host went on to have successful world premiere at the prestigious Stiges Film Festival in Spain and also had its UK premiere at the world-renowned UK Fright Fest, winning the Total Film Best Death Award. Individually, both Richard and Adam have had stellar careers. Richard Oakes is an award-winning DLP, wrote and directed the award-winning sci-fi short Exit Plan in 2016, which has had over 600,000 views. He has also gone on to DLP feature films like 24 Little Hours and Homeless Ashes. Back in 2012, Richard formed the production company Dark Fable Media. Since then, he has worked with some of the biggest music artists in the world and directed over 200 projects to date for clients such as Universal, EMI and Gibson Guitars. Many of Richard's music videos are featured on the most popular music channels, receiving critical acclaim. Whereas Adam Leader is the frontman for UK metal quintet In Search of Sun. In Search of Sun made a major festival debut in 2016 when he appeared at the UK's legendary download event, getting a great turnout and response. Touring and gigging with the likes of 12 Foot Ninja and Nothing More has helped to garner massive praise for both their energetic live performance and their dynamic sound, which refuses to play the genre game and can best be described as a breath of fresh air. In Search of Sun have recently entered the studio recording music, hopefully out later this year. In this interview, we don't just talk about the movie host. We discuss Richard and Adam's career within the horror business, what got them into horror movies, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. And of course, as is the topic, all about hugs. We deep dive into much of the production, the creation, the writing, the directing, you name it, we cover as much as possible in this interview. So sit back and enjoy. Brilliant. Richard, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. First things first, you're doing well. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all we need to check that you're doing okay and you're up for this. But the bigger question, we'll start with you first, Richard. How have you been holding up as we, obviously, in the UK today, have hit the one-year anniversary of lockdowns? Over the last 12 months, how have you been holding up, man? Yeah, up and down. Um, we've, we've, when I'm busy, it's good. When I'm not, it's pretty dire, so it's just about keeping yourself busy isn't it and entertained but yeah <laughs> it is Fair what it is what about you um adam i've had a great time this last year man for real <laughs> it's uh no you know what it's been it's been considering the the ominous uh circumstances of the world man it, it's been quite a positive year for for 
for me at least, you know, and, and I think for us in general, in terms of the film, <clears throat> it's been, it's been brilliant, you know, so I think a lot of positives have, have, have coincided with the negatives uh, for sure. But I can't, but yeah, you, you just reminded me, it's been a, a whole year to the day, mm. right? That it, that's, that's nuts. I mean, one thing's for sure is I have no idea where it's, it's just weird. The whole thing is, it is peculiar how it's been a whole year now. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Touching upon what you said there, though, about positives, then we, we like to try and turn this because it's obviously such a negative subject into something positive from you both. Do you have one particular positive story that you're happy enough to share with people who are going to be watching that has occurred over the last 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. the, the, the distribution side of things was um, I think it the situation helped us out because <clears throat> whereas most of the time distributors would go to the the film markets and stuff like that and speak to um, general people at them that there wasn't that available to them. So they were more open to kind of the cold calling and the cold emails that we sent out because when we were researching how to distribute a film and stuff, because this is our first film and we were learning along the way, um, all, all the uh, results came back saying, don't just cold email the distributors. And we were like, well, we're going to do it anyway. And we did. And I think... The reason they answered the phone and uh, checked out the emails and responded was because their usual avenues of, of acquiring films was kind of closed. Um, so I think that helped us in that way. That's awesome. But you? Yeah, I have to agree with, agree with Rich, man. It was, mm. it was certainly, it, it was just in, incredible how it, how it just, how it happened. And I think that was that was a, a huge positive a positive that we took out of the negative that negative being obviously you can't do anything everyone's locked at home everywhere's closed and stuff but we had this film that was finished and ready to sell so we used that time uh, wisely and, and spoke to every single distributor on the face of the planet and and bagged ourselves a really good deal and i guess it's been smooth sailing from there so it's a big positive for us to take away from last year's pandemic when you when you say cold calling, so I understand that that's equivalent of effectively just emailing everybody with the details, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty much. There was a there was a template that that we both composed together. It's just saying, hey, we've just completed our first film. Here's the the trailer for it. If you'd like to, we're looking for worldwide distribution. If you would like, we can send you a private screen of the whole film. So we sent it to everyone, man. Like. And we're talking like low-level distributors all the way to 20th Century Fox and Lionsgate and all these big, all these big heads. And pretty much, like I'd say, 99% of them started replying, saying, "Yeah, send us the whole film, send it to us." And and <laughs> before we knew it, we were getting deals, like uh, offers thrown at us, and and we were in negotiations with so many different people by the following week. It was crazy. Yeah. How did you wheel it down then? We had our eye on on dark sky which were the guys that we went with for america but we i guess we wanted to well especially before we i guess made made initial contact with them we wanted to keep our options open and i think most importantly um jump in if you disagree rich but i think for us the most important thing was learning so i think mm -hmm. we, we didn't want to necessarily rush and take the first thing that was offered to us we wanted to to learn I guess the more experience we had, the more we learned about what is being screwed over and what isn't being screwed over. Um, yeah, yeah, you know yeah I mean? we kind of wanted to play the, the feedback that we had from everyone 
of their deals and okay if they're offering this deal what's this person going to offer and is it like uh across the board this is the kind of offer we're going to get or are they lowballing us and we're not going to find out until we speak to a few and um i think that was another reason why we went obviously we 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 really wanted to go with Dark Sky, but they also offered us a really good deal. So <clears throat> it was kind of, you know. Perfect. Great win-win. deal. Great learning experience. Uh, something to take into the future. That was for US, uh, that was for North America, right? What about um, the UK? Is that something that's been sorted? Now it has. Now it has, yeah. So the America was the first territory that we signed with. Um, and then with that, we also signed like a worldwide uh, deal with MPI who act as our sales agent reaching out to i guess that i guess that similarly that the same people or mm-hmm. a lot of the same people that we initially reached out to but they already have really good rapport with these guys and good relationships so they could negotiate on our behalf and they're so much better than we are at doing that because it's their job and their experience so uh yeah within a within a couple of months they'd they'd uh yeah secured a deal with uh, UK distributor, which is Alarm, and uh, yeah, and yeah, that's it. It's there. It's available to watch right now. I think uh, Amazon. I think Amazon is it on more. Do you know? Yeah, it's on Prime Video. Uh, it's also on Shudder now in the UK. Uh, Perfect. Any American listeners? It's also on Shudder and Prime Video and iTunes, iTunes, and all those Sky Store. Sky store, yeah, <laughs> all, these, all the all these cool things that Rich always remembers and I always forget. <laughs> it's basically there. We'll get a bit more into it as well as you go on. But first things first, guys, I want to pick your brains then about your interest in horror in general. So we're going to go right back to your earliest memory that you can that you have of horror of what watching or listening or reading about horror in media. Uh, so for me, it was always forget which one it is there's a couple around the same time I was about eight years old and mm-hmm. I remember watching well initially like my, my brother and sister watched um, Brain Dead and I, I walked in at some bits and then I wasn't allowed to watch it and I did end up watching it again later on but I can't remember when that was but that was pretty nasty for a young kid um, but my first memory was uh, eight years old watching The Blob um, the, the 80s remake and uh that scared the crap out of me. And my parents had a tendency to just go out for the day without telling me. So I was watching the blob and then it finished and I was alone in the house and just stood in the middle of my yard crying because I wanted to see in all directions rather than being inside the house where it could come out of a crack in the wall or whatever. And that was it. I just waited for my parents to come home. So yeah, big, big, brave boy I was. I love those <laughs> stories. I love those stories of kids' experiences with horror. <laughs> What about yourself, Adam? It, it was it, kind of the same uh, the same story, man. Like my parents were out for the day. I'm not sure where they were, but it was me and my older sister at home. And uh, we were always intrigued by the, the cupboard full of VHS tapes that my parents had because there was always a, a level or a shelf. There were three shelves in there and I think it was the bottom shelf that had all the all their films, which were obviously the, the 18s and the violent stuff and all that which is what drew our attention so and there was this one that we'd always seen it was it was recorded uh, and it was on a white like polaroid vhs thing and written in blue pen a nightmare on elm street We're like oh that that that's intriguing so we we stuck it in and it was the first one the the uh i think it's 1984 
version of it, like the original first night when Elstree film, put it on and just fell in love straight away, man. I was like, yep, Freddy Krueger is my idol and I want to see the rest of these films. And I, did, I was just turned on to horror after that. Yeah. Amazing stuff. So have you continued to watch horror all throughout your lives, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Apart from, yeah, apart yeah. from our, our lives being, you know, horror stories in themselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think I've kind of gone back and forth. Um, maybe a bit more than Adam. You've always been pretty bit more hardcore than I am with the horrors. So then I, I, I always love to know, is there a specific style or type of horror that you find yourself going back to time and time again, one more than any other? Just the, the oddest ones, I think. Like, yeah. we, I think both me and Adam are the same on that. Just we like maybe slightly more art housey, or I also like the fun ones, like the blob now watching it now with my eight-year-old is just brilliant. Like it's it's such a fun film and watching a lot of them and the thing and stuff, they've just got a, a quality to them that's just fun as well as like that that scariness when you're a kid. But yeah, I, I think we're, we're oh, I don't want to speak for Adam, but I'm less into the kind of Hollywood rendition of, of horrors if you know what I mean that are kind of paint by numbers horror mm. less of that if you know what I mean more of the I love stuff like ring and kind of weird stuff that really creeps you out and mm. keeps you guessing yeah it's the same same for me we're, we're definitely both more on the weird the weird vibe of things There's the stuff that isn't necessarily handed to you on a plate or explained like ring um which to be fair I mean I, I watched the first time hearing about that or under or knowing what that film was was watching the american remake of it i guess and then learning afterwards that it was a remake of the original which is so much more terrifying but so much better um but yeah definitely the weird vibe one film i i keep going back to which is an understatement because i watched it for the 10th time a couple of weeks ago it's hereditary oh okay. uh, yeah because it's it's oh it's so peculiar or well Compared to his his second film, Midsummer, which is even more peculiar, but but it's so oh, I just love it, man. I think we're we're both quite big fans of Ariasta. You point at him as uh, the kind of the future of horror. I think he's got that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Alongside maybe like Jordan Peele, we'll see how things go. It's horror. It moves in cycles. Mm, mm, absolutely. So, guys, do you remember the day? The day you woke up and thought, yep, today's the day we're going to start making a horror movie. <laughs> That's a tough one, man. Yeah, it's kind of a gradual process, wasn't it? It was, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to no, think, we, we started writing a, another film, which ended up being too expensive to make. And so when we were talking to um, investors and stuff like that, they were like, well, you don't really have a track record you haven't made a film yet so we were like okay then let's write something new something different that we can afford to make and that's kind of where host came from and it, it was okay. done quite quickly but with a lot of love as well okay um I'm, <clears throat> i can pretty bloody up the speed of it i watched it last week and then watched it earlier again today to make sure it's fresh in my head for this interview. Now, obviously you guys shared writing and directing duties on this movie. So tell us about how you guys worked together on it. Was it like, did you split up segments or did you share ideas and agree in the best direction to go? Yeah, from from like, I guess going from the beginning, like from mm. the, 
the, the writing and the storyboarding of it, yeah, it was very much um, shared. Um, not because we felt we had to, just because we we just work really well together and that's kind of just how it is. So Rich might come up with something and, and I'll go, oh, that's great. Why don't, why don't we one-up it by doing this? And then I might come up with something and he might go, that's great. Let's one-up it with this. So we always, we continue to, to make each other's ideas better. Um, yeah, and it just, it, it's, it, it, yeah, it just, it stemmed from just an initial somewhat boring experience that I had um, one, one evening and I called Rich, told him about it and said, this might be cool, uh, make for a good opening scene or, or, or a scene in the film. And he agreed and we just, we just kept building from there. And by the end of that night, we'd had, we'd had this bullet pointed story. We basically had a document of bullet points scene ideas from start to finish very roughly of this film um to which i then went away and wrote the screenplay for it within a, in a few weeks and a couple of weeks and then me and rich then developed it from there on uh, afterwards and just kept adding or taking away or trying to improve on stuff with that so it was very much together the whole time yeah mm -hmm. do you want to take the directing part then uh richard so directing again is very we like to do everything together. Um, we, we, we're pretty much one brain. The amount of times, I know it sounds really cliche, but Adam will finish my sentence or I'll go, I've got this great idea. And he'll be like, no, hold that thought. I've got this idea. And I'll go, but that was the idea I was going to say. And <laughs> it's, it, it happens just more often than not. Um, <clears throat> so we, we did decide just, just for the sake of um, stopping any clashing, because when you're shooting a film, there's that tension of the pressure of time and everything can get to you. And um, if you chuck two friends that are really passionate about a product that they're making into the mix with that pressure and they do come at loggerheads, you could have issues there. And we, we really wanted to preempt that. So one, we kind of had a safe word to that if either of us were kind of feeling a bit unhappy with with each other or anything that we could say that and it would take us out of the situation and remember what we're doing going in and the other was to split the directing role in half so that I would take the more visual role being uh, a DOP by trade um, so blocking the scenes uh, making sure the, the sets were kind of as we wanted it to look and um, the flow of the scene there and then Adam while I was setting that up Adam was outside going through the scenes with the actors because he wrote the script he knew exactly how he wanted that to, to happen. So then when it came to shoot the, the scene, we'd come back together um, and we'd both sit in front of the monitor if I wasn't um, on the camera itself. And we'd then direct the scene together. But we, we rarely, well, I don't think we ever really clashed on any ideas on set. Um, it, it just flowed like that. And uh, the cast seemed to respond really well to that, that methodology as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because, I mean, it can't be understated here. Obviously, you, you worked with alongside some other producers as well, but this really is very much your baby. You, 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 you're both your babies. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's one way of, of saying it. And I, I think the next film and the film after that would be very much, very much the same. They're all very important to us. And well, yeah, we're talking about hosts now. It's, it's extremely important to us. And it was very, because there wasn't a budget to you know hire in i don't know i i don't want to say the proper people but an actual team of people mm. that have been doing this for years that are do you know what i mean it was all very 
a bunch of friends together everyone's everyone's at the same level and growing together no one really knew what anyone was doing and it was all just very much in the deep end and there was a lot of up until the shoot there's a lot of stuff that that me and rich kind of just took the responsibility on uh, took the responsibilities on for and somehow we didn't drown but it was very much like just learning as we went and just doing as much as we could from obviously the writing and and stuff like that all the way down to the the pre-production the set dressing the prop buying the costumes which rich handled mostly do you know what i mean and it, it was there was so much going on that i guess by the time it came to shooting it was kind of nice to just now we all sort of do, like dove into everyone's department all of us kind of cross it was like cross departments but it was very nice to just have everything ready to go and crack on and just either shoot in rich's case and direct or for me to direct you know and it was yeah it was it was cool it was very cool you're proud of what you've accomplished here, gents, yeah? Yeah. Uh, hell yeah, brilliant. So, story, blend of, well, it's been a psychological, otherworldly unknowns and a little bit of home invasion, hostage-esque brutality. Where did the seeds of such an elaborate idea actually come from? I know you earlier on, Adam, you mentioned the opening scene being a, a boring story. But where did the seed of, okay, we've got all these things, how are we going to do that? This, this, how do you mean the seed? Do you so mean it... the ba- yeah, you had a basic outline originally, as you said, and you planted it and it was going to grow into what hosts was. So, mm. what was there some one specific thing, one specific part of the story? Did you want to focus on the psychological and then you included the otherworldly esque stuff without giving too much away elements? I, I think, I think it was. It's a tough one because that you know mm. going going back now because it was it was our debut. Um, I hold my hands up and say, on a, from a writing perspective, there's so many things that I've learned since since then. Both of us have learned since then that could certainly um, could have certainly been implement in, implemented in that story wise. However, yeah. I, I think on a, from a psychological aspect, it's definitely the vibe that when I was writing stuff for it, I really was, I was so much more interested in that, that way of, of doing things like the, the, the gaslighting and the manipulation and the torture, the, the, the trauma, the whole trauma of it. Um, which in my opinion, or, or which at least what, what, what I wanted helps that kind of psychological aspect of it helps elevate that, the physical stuff that you see on screen, the violence and stuff, whether it was before or after. And that's certainly what, what I was, what I wanted to go for. Definitely the psychological side of things. Mm. So then what changed if you were focused, or at least you wanted to focus on that originally. And while of course that is heavily present throughout it, the extra elements that you also decided to include as well. Um, as I say, the I don't know how to describe. It. I keep using the word otherworldly because that is <laughs> that seems to be the catch-all for it. How that, how did that part kind I of think, sneak in? I think what um, trying to get at is that that kind of that mix of the two. Which I, I what's interesting about me and Adam is we're always on the same wavelength, but we're also into very different styles of film with with certain things like Adam's style. Like we're both into horror, but <clears throat> Adam's kind of grown up more on the supernatural stuff. 
like, and I've kind of grown up more on the thriller side. Um, so kind of more real world uh, killers and stuff has always fascinated me, films mm. like Seven and stuff like that. I know it's not quite horror, but <clears throat> that I, I'm, uh, I like the, the home invasion stuff and Adam's always been interested in like the demonic side of things and stuff like that. So we were like, what if we kind of join those together into one thing? So you've got a home invasion with this demonic dark entity kind of vibe to it um and i think that's where that came from and i i really like how that kind of meshed if that makes sense mm, mm. and if you compared the final product to what you first envisioned back then would you say it's close to what you what you'd thought when perhaps when you first wrote your first uh, draft of the screenplay close to it or very very different that's the first time anyone's asked that actually and and to be honest i think i think it is it is very it is very close the only thing that's different is that when it was written both both me and the only thing me and rich differed our opinions on was that i had a completely different image of what the house everything happens in looks like and rich had his own uh, image of, of what the house looked like. So sometimes we'd go, well, yeah, but they walk in, in the original script, there was an upstairs in the house. Mm. So like, I go, well, they're walking upstairs and this room is on the left. And Rich is like, just as an example, he'd be like, well, no, actually that, that room should be on the right two doors down. That's how, and, and we're like, no, wait, hold on. Like we need to envision the same house. Um, We've, yeah. We always do that, even with other scripts we've written since. We always do that with the house. We never, that's one thing we never agree on is the actual house or yeah. the location it's set in. And we have, it got to the point with the latest one that we were writing. And I was like, right, I'm drawing a set of plans here for this house <laughs> so that we're both on the same page. And even then you were like, I, I, I don't know, I saw that over here. And I'm like, well, we need to agree before we start writing this because the yeah. movement and everything's going to change. So, that is one area that we just never agree on. Yeah, always, always. <laughs> but but as, as a film in general, it's def definitely, for me at least, it's, yeah, certainly what I kind of imagined in, in, in before, we, before we shot anything. And I remember being on set and watching these, watching the, the, the fantastic cast, you know, do their things. And just remember just sitting there thinking, shit, man, these, these guys are, bringing these characters to life mm. they're saying things exactly how i imagined or they're doing a certain body language and stuff is so accurate to how at least i imagined it in my head and it was so it was surreal to to watch that i was calling them by their character names by after the first day for the rest of the shoot <laughs> incredible incredible i always uh, i always wonder as well particularly when it comes from a ryan perspective like how when you picture a character in your head and you obviously cast that person you wanted to be as accurate as possible but ultimately as well you want a good actor in that role and how uh, as a writer how terrifying that must be the very first time you see them start to say your dialogue <laughs> yeah um i guess as a as a both of us you know write writer director duo like not only are we the ones that have to see if they're saying what we've written is how we imagined it but we're also the ones that have to tell them no you're doing it wrong this this is how it needs to be so like that didn't happen much you know there were a couple of occasions where uh the delivery was great but there were certain aspects about it that wasn't quite how we imagined it and there were a couple of i say hard conversations they weren't hard it was just 
feeling awkward about having to say that and mm. you know disappoint um the actors or, or whatever which it didn't happen often but when it did it was great because it, it really helped you know the actors took that away and went okay cool how about this and then they did it and it was just amazing mm. top notch yeah yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, great moments, great scenes. We're going to touch upon a few now as well. I uh, particularly want to know, well, what is... There are several, several great tension-based scenes, but obviously one of the more impressive ones is the dinner table scene, the lead-up to a particularly brutal event. But it's the build-up that I want to touch upon, the winding tension that continues to grow and grow and grow until the eventual eruption. That part there, what can you describe what that experience was like when it comes to directing the cast and filming it? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> well, um, that was a tough night. That was the second night of the shoot. Mm. First night was a bit of a warm up, but there was only um, Sam and Neil in the first night's shoot, which is all the stuff pre everything that went down. And then the second night shoot was the dinner scene, which was always in our minds the hardest one. And we had to shoot the whole thing in one evening. And um, so we had time constraints. We had costume problems, which put us two hours behind. <clears throat> so we were on the clock. Um, but Kate, who did the, the SFX, she did such an amazing job that in my mind, I was thinking there's a lot that I'm going to have to do in post to get this right. And then when she turned up with what she'd built and stuff for the um, for the gore and stuff, I was mm. like, oh, well, that's just, that's just made our lives so easy. <laughs> and uh, so it was all practical. Um, bar a couple of little extra splashes of blood or this or whatever, we added a little bit, but that was amazing. And just kind of getting that, that vibe and, um, just seeing all the characters kind of slot in because it was the only night, I think it's the first night with everyone and the only night with every member of the cast in one room. Mm. And so it was a real moment of everyone kind of getting to know each other, but also knowing we've got this great task of that scene, which we, we knew from the moment it was written down on paper that it was <clears throat> the one we had to get right. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was stressful, but a, a great, great amount of fun if Adam wants to add to that yeah it, it, it was yeah it was it was scary it was really scary going into it but every, everyone just it was just nice man because everyone I think everyone in the room f felt that there was a, an immense pressure of getting this done like Rich said in one night after having you know a, maybe a two-hour delay because of the said problems whether it was costume or, or whatever it, whatever it was but everyone understood and, and was really res respectful of what we wanted to achieve as, as directors and they'd learned their lines they we told them you need to, you need to have this scene rehearsed like a play you need to know your lines everyone knew their lines everyone just listened and it was cool and it, it was just great man it was it was really good so gradually as we went through the night Yes, it got more stressful because we shot in the middle of summer and the whole film is set at night. So we had about six hours of darkness every night, but ended up boarding up the windows and shooting for 18 hour days. You know, it was crazy, but it, it, it felt like it started to get easier. The more we got into it, uh, especially when we started getting into the violent side mm. of stuff with all the props, it did, it did seem to get easier. Um, 
yeah, because everyone seemed to be on the same page. All that hard work paid off though, man. I mean, that is not just because of the violence level, but the pure tension, as I said at the start, but also there's one thing I remember from that scene it is the smile that exists on a certain character's face throughout it, which is just horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, yeah. talk about the cast. Sorry, go on, go on. <clears throat> yeah, I remember we, we were sat watching the monitor at that scene <clears throat> and we were just like, Adam just was like, Rich, Rich, look. And he just pointed at said character and the mannerisms that they were doing. And um, we were just giggling, like while trying to kind of not be distracting for the cast. We were just like, <laughs> she just looks amazing. Like how just sadistic it was. Oh, do you yes. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, she nailed it. She totally nailed it. It was amazing. Really, really mm. amazing. Yeah, and we've touched upon the cast a fair bit. So some of the names, Neil Ward, uh, Nadia Lamon, Frank Jakeman, Lee Hunter, Samantha Loxley, Jennifer K. Preston, to name but a handful. You assemble a great cast here. Did you do auditions or did you kind of know who you wanted straight away? The, the parts for Jack and Lauren, uh, who were played by Neil Ward and Nadia Lamon, were already written for them. We've been friends with them for years and we wanted to give them that opportunity, not just because they're our friends, but because they're our friends and we feel that they're just fantastic actors. So mm. they, they deserve it. So that, that was already written for them. Um, for the rest, it was sort of a mixture between people that, that we or that Rich knew via the circles that he'd already worked on other people's films in, um, Lee Hunter and, and Frank Jakeman. Um, Jennifer, who plays Cassie, the mum, was one of, I think, 13 women that auditioned for that role. Um, and me and Rich watched through all the audition tapes and the moment Jennifer's audition tape came through and we watched it, we were like, she's the one, straight away, blew us what away. The, what was the scene she, what scene uh, did you do? It was that scene, it was the monologue. So it was, it was a, like, you shouldn't really, like again coming into this brand new and and putting our own casting calls out you shouldn't really it, it's a bit it takes the piss of it asking actors to, to to do such a long or so many lines for an audition and she learned that all, all 13 women learned the whole thing and they delivered the whole thing and they all tried their best and yeah but it was that monologue um she completely nailed it and it was the same for samantha she also sent in a fantastic self-tape for the part of lucy and and she had a big um two two actually separate ones to, to do one had to be in uh when she was good lucy before she turned bad and then one had to be bad lucy so yeah so yeah probably a bit of a mistake on our end sending out such big audition uh, <laughs> lines to learn oh but the end result the end result and that's what i just keep thinking about it here we are this is the film and it all worked out so bloody well yeah oh, thanks man thank you <laughs> So obviously the film, you know, it's been pretty successful so far. Has that surprised you? Considering obviously horror doesn't get a lot of mainstream attention unless it's coming from the big boys. So has the the attention you've received surprised you? Yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we set ourselves goals. Like when we when we made the film, we were like, right, this is what we want to get out of the film. This is why we're doing it. We want to get our name out there. We want to show uh, investors and stuff that we're not fresh meat and. We want to be able to prove that we can make the investors money back <clears throat> and that was kind of the core of what we wanted from it and we were like you know we'll probably get it in the local bargain bin and and that and in the uk and that'll be about it but as long as we make 
the very small amount that we got invested in um, <clears throat> back, it proves that we're not chances that are just robbing people's money. We're actually mm. making people their money back and, and then some. So that was our initial goal, <laughs> which is very low. <clears throat> and then as things started going, and we especially the time we were sending out all the emails to the distributors, the, inf the interest we got back was crazy. Like some of the big hitters that Adam mentioned earlier got on conference calls with us and was like, we really like this film. It's a bit small for us, so we, we're going to pass, but we're, we're keeping an eye on you because this is incredible for the price you've done it. And mm. that was like crazy. I remember thinking we're in, when they said they wanted a conference call with us, um, I remember like being really nervous because I was like, they can't be, they can't have enjoyed the film because they're too big for us. They must be wanting to sue us for something that they've seen in the film that they think we've we've done something with. And Adam was like, "You're being really paranoid." I'm like, "I can't see them giving like wanting to talk to us for any other reason because they're too big." Um, and that was an interesting interesting thing. So I think we've been surprised at each step of the way and getting into like the, these big festivals and winning death of the year by total film and stuff like that, like mental and mm. getting to number two in iTunes, like every step of the way has been like crazy and really taken us by surprise. Cool. You got anything to add there, Adam? No, just, just agreeing with Rich on how, how it started from this one, I guess, I, I don't know. I don't know what the word is because both both of us have always been super hungry to mm. succeed in whatever we want to do. And we won't stop until we get there. But I guess the bar was set here initially, like Rich said, and we, we had a very, I mean, although it felt like a big mountain to get over at the time, we, we had this goal. But all of a sudden, once the film was edited and done and we watched it back, thanks to Rich and his fantastic editing and, and visual effects skills and, and all that, that he put eight months into we were like, you know what? We need to let let's let's do something different here. Let's start from the top and work our way down. Instead of settling for the first thing we get, let's start at the top. And that's what inspired us to just get on the phone and have the the audacity to email. It was 174 different distributors in one night and make the effort to just speak to every single one and negotiate because. I don't know. I guess it was just having that drive and, and recognizing, you know what? Like everyone starts as a nobody. So like, mm. why, why are we any different? Let's, let's do the same thing and let's, let's make our own luck. I love it when I hear you describe yourselves as nobodies because it, it, we, we're not going to touch upon it in this interview, but you both have stellar, stellar careers elsewhere outside of, you know, your debut horror movie. And I don't think people might quite realize that. And that's incredible, incredible that you would, yeah, you, you discuss and say, prefer yourselves as nobodies almost. <laughs> but, we, but we are nobodies, especially, <laughs> especially in the film scene. Like we, so, you know, we, we've never done a film before and we were just like, let's do a feature film and try and get it as far as we can. Like we, <clears throat> like we were saying that bar was very low, but it wasn't, <clears throat> our, our ambition bar wasn't there. We'll always push way higher than the bar this is our expectation but we never aim for our expectation it's that cheesy line of you know aim for the stars and mm. you know 
whatever the line is. I can't remember, but <laughs> shoot it's, for the stars. Shoot for the stars. But there's that if you miss, you'll land. So like shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll land in the stars or whatever it is. But it's that like aim as high as you can. Don't limit yourself because me and Adam are quite uh negative on ourselves, I guess, in one way, but we also push as far as we can. So we're very like we're not going to get it, but why not try? Do you know what I mean? So that's mm. the kind of attitude to have rather than we're not going to get it. So let's, let's aim low. I, I think that shouldn't ever be an attitude to have, if, if that makes sense. That's cool. That's cool. Um, right, guys, I'm going to pick your brains and have a lot of nerdy stuff that I picked up on. I just want to sort of get your idea uh, answers about. First things first, did you consider toning it down to get a lower rating? I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. It's a pretty brutal movie. And obviously, had you aimed for, say, a 15, you might have got a, uh, might have got a bit more attention. Nah. nah? <laughs> we did not think it was. We were both on the same page here. We actually, we were, we were so desperate for this to be an 18, purely for, like, the nostalgia of it, of, of being those eight-year-old kids that were like, oh, we're about to watch an 18 horror film. And it that was like, so it was really important for us. So when, when it was rated an 18 or whatever it is in America, is it R-rated? Well, I don't know what they call it out there. We were we were really like pleasant. We, we, were, we were pleasantly surprised. Well, not pleasantly. We were just we were just really happy that it was the highest rating you could go. So. But do, you think, do you think it would have won death of the year if it was a... a, a... A, tw- a pg-12 or do you know what i mean like i don't think it would have <laughs> it's so it's actually it seems these days it's quite hard to kind of get an 18 rating and considering obviously there's no new there's no nudity no sex or anything like that in the movie yeah you, you're stuck with the one thing so i guess for people watching and listening that should give you an idea of how gory and violent the movie can be it's not all the time though it's not it's no. not a it's not a torture porn film and we were adamant about it not being it was just like we want to um <clears throat> punctuate the violence at very key moments to add a lot more to the moments and mm. um it was very designed like you, you were saying about the build-up and everything was designed for maximum impact and i think yeah i we're not into the kind of the gore porn kind of films it, you might think that looking at the film and going ah but that's not what we're into we're into good you know cool stories that are really interesting that just go throw you sideways sometimes and that's what we wanted to do more than just be like look how gruesome we can be because we've watched films recently that are crazy gory like way worse than what we've done but it doesn't affect you because it's all the time and you don't care about anyone because from the get-go it's just that and it means like we were like well if we we reserve that and get to know the characters and and kind of get to know these these backgrounds and then kind of pull the rug out with this extreme violence it's going to be a lot more effective even though the violence is probably less it's actually more effective because Mm. people aren't expecting it if that makes sense yeah no i completely agree um it's very important that I go give a shit about a character before he gets killed. Otherwise, what's the point? Just don't care. And um, I'd love to know as well, like, of course, you know, Death of the Year, by a total film for that one specific dinner table scene. However, me personally, and this is just personally me, there's actually a death later on in the film that I, and bear in mind, I've been watching horror since I was like eight, seven, eight, and so on. But there's one death later on that I found uncomfortable to watch. For me, it was actually turned up as worse. And obviously it was the stabbing 
scene. Oh, yes, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I switch between that, the, the stabbing and the dinner scene. And I, 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 sometimes I can't tell which one's more shocking and uncomfortable for me to watch. And one thing was, I'll let you in on a little secret. I was, I was watching uh, for inspiration. I, I'd go on these sites and I've, I've seen a lot of videos as I'm sure a lot of people have of actually real stuff that has happened before because I really wanted to not only was I really adamant on the sounds being as realistic as possible um, in terms of the, the actual puncture sounds and stuff like that but mm. the sound effects the sounds that the victim makes and I've seen videos before floating around on the internet and your friend sends you one at school or you, you know whatever it is and but I ended up going back to those and watching them to really make sure that those sounds were accurate. And I remember telling said man who gets stabbed at the end, I remember telling him, these are the types of sounds you need to be making. They're, they're, they're guttural groans. They're not just, ah, please, like you need to be groaning. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's what does it for me. The so, speed yeah. and the ferocity as well. The speed and the ferocity of that um, really, really hit me. I'm just lying on my couch, relaxed, and that that made me sit up a little bit. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Oh, amazing! I love I love the fact that uh, a, any horror movie these days can have any effect on me. So it's an automatic win moment, you know. Well, well, one of the cars. There's a little bit of a behind the scenes thing. One of the cars actually went to hospital after that scene. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> they managed so to, yeah, they managed to stab themselves in the leg during that. Wow, <laughs> they, I, 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 they, that actually makes such sense. They like, may or may not have stabbed themselves in the leg. They, they may, may or may, may not <laughs> have gotten for some stitches at the hospital. Amazing. Yeah, so, guys, it's a tight eighty-nine minutes long. Fits a hell of a lot in in that time. How much? How much ended up on the cutting room floor, do you reckon? Not a lot. About, oh, about, sweet. About three minutes. <laughs> no, it depends. Like, obviously, we had lots of takes. Um, but it was pretty much what the script was. There was only one scene that we drastically cut down. Um, the rest was was kind of in there. And I I do think that's probably more on an error on our side of... <laughs> we. we <laughs> We're, this is our first film, so we're like, right, this is we're gonna shoot what we wrote, and we're not gonna like literally. If we cut a scene from this, the film doesn't exist. It's it, it has to be everything that we've written. And whereas I know, kind of a lot of, you know, like take, take the Snyder cut for, for four hours long, and that was cut down to what an hour and a half, like two hours initially. Um, so <clears throat> expensive films tend to overshoot and then fix it in the edit. Whereas we didn't really have that luxury. Like if, if we had to cut anything, we're going to end up with a very non-feature length film mm. <laughs> because we, we had 10 days to shoot the whole thing and we shot everything that we needed and not a second more, really. I mean, we were kind of a bit apprehensive about cutting what we did, but we, it was one, one scene that we felt like it kind of really needed to, to be lost <laughs> and, and never see the light of day type of thing. But <laughs> other than that, it's it's all there as was written. Awesome, awesome. What's, what is then, both of you, what is your personal favourite scene in the movie? <laughs> <Both of us. laughs> That's not a question we've had before either. 
That's a good one. Um, I I think for me for me I have a couple, but but the one I'm going to pick today would probably be it's part of the scene. It's it's the monologue that Jack delivers to Lauren after what goes down at the dinner table, <clears throat> and it's the, that sinister tone of voice and and the nature of what he says in her ear uh, that is just. Yeah, I just find it so sinister. And I remember writing that thinking, oh, this is just, this is really cool. I, I, I can see him saying that. And it just really, it resonates with me. It resonates with me. And and yeah, so that's probably my my favorite given, you know, everything that's just sort of happened. It's almost set up that um, eerie sinister vibe in which that monologue he, he, he is delivered. So yeah, the, the last part of the dinner scene for me. Okay. I, I don't particularly have a favourite scene. I have a favourite section, which I just feel where the pacing is clicking exactly how we wanted, which is from the end, from the moment of the, the dinner scene up until the end of the bedroom scene. So it's about 15 minutes of stuff. That The flow of that, I really love going through the corridors and mm. this and that and this and bedroom there's some dialogue scenes and stuff but just everything just feels like it's just ramping and ramping and ramping and i kind of love the tone of that um yeah that's just the, the if i could if i had to choose one bit to keep then being everything else it would be just keep that bit. <laughs> that that 15 to 20 minute chunk <laughs> is this um is hosts the ideas that you've kind of created and hosts is this something you would ever consider coming back to in the future i don't necessarily mean like a hosts two or a sequel but just i don't know world building is it something you would ever consider looking at looking at again in the future i don't know it's a, it's a tough one with it it's, mm. it's tough to think about it not as a sequel and, and more as a, a world or a universe i guess but you know never say never but we're very much at, at the moment on the vibe of doing a film and finishing a film, moving on to the next one. So we're, we're similar, you know, we're, we're, we're already well stuck into the the next one. And um, I'm almost at the end of the the first draft of the screenplay for it and, and stuff. And it's very much its own world this time, um, different set of rules and stuff, but similar vibes in places to what you might have seen in hosts, but completely different. And I think for us, it's always going to, at least for now, you know, it's always going to have to be, you've got to leave something where it is. You know, it's best to just leave it where it is and move on to the next one. We had, a, we had a discussion, didn't we? Like, we, I don't I don't think either of us are interested in doing a sequel. Um, we feel like <clears throat> for us, maybe whether people get it or not, the, the, the story of hosts is the sub layers and they have been told and that 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 story is finished. The world you could make something in, but we would have to have a killer story to put in that world. It's just mm. <clears throat> so at the moment we're not doing, but we did, we have spoken about if we ever got somewhere in this career and, and uh, had the opportunity to remake it with a killer budget, we would potentially do that. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a, um, what's it called? Uh, my mind's gone blank. Evil Dead, like Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. That's the mm. one. I'm yeah, yeah. Okay, of. okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, just have a little bit more than the pennies we spent on on this one to 
to go back and and, and uh, have another crack at it and, and with with a big budget would be really fun. I think to revisit in say twenty years time or something like that. But our focus is yeah, single single films. We're not into sequels. And again, it's that American model. We're not really into the um, American Hollywood model mm. of films where it's just like you know. Uh, forgotten the name of them out. As well. yeah yeah just churning them out and sequel after sequel after sequel just to cash in when they're just like retelling the same ground we we like to surprise and to shock and to tell something new each time and <clears throat> and that's where we have fun is just we'll sit at home and just be like how about this idea and it's just like that's nuts like i love the fact of the other day we were sitting on <clears throat> i was sitting in the lounge and me and adam spoke about this idea for the end of our new film and just this little twist on it. And my wife turned to look at us in complete, utter shock and went, that is horrific. And we went, then that's what we've got to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Those moments are just golden. And I feel like you lose them if you keep beating the same horse. I, I mean, as a horror movie fan, I 100% agree. The host felt very complete. And I love a bit of mystery. Don't need everything answered, you know? Yeah, we've had a lot, of, a lot of flack for not answering every question everyone wants. And there's a lot of clues in there if you want to have a search. But we feel like the information that we wanted to tell is in the film. Whether mm. people cottoned on to it or not, that could be our fault or theirs. Don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything more to say. <laughs> Even though some people came over and was like, what? <laughs> nope, fair enough. Guys, we're running out of time, so we've got two more questions for you. One, quickly, we've touched upon everything great about the movie, from the cast to the directing style, to the writing, to the cinematography, but everything that's beautiful about it, except one aspect, which is the music, which is so incredible. Um, you want to tell me about how, how you got to, well, who, who got involved with and how? Well, it was Benjamin Simons. He, he composed the score that you hear throughout the film and um i guess this is more of rich's story but it, i'd let you, you tell the story rich because you you, you yeah, well, i mean i've met benjamin simons is a guy i've known for years he used to be in a in a band called uh maleficent maleficent that's the one. whoa you're joking right no uh, he's playing guitar for maleficent yeah oh he's, my god he's the guitarist for maleficent they were like, I've seen Malefice back in the day, countless, I've got one of the oldest t-shirts hanging up from the very <laughs> first UK tour. Small world. <laughs> yeah, totally. So uh, I, I knew Ben going way back when he was in Malefice and we, we never really worked together because they kept asking me, because I obviously do music videos, they kept asking me for music, like um, to do their music video, but it never ever kind of worked out or panned out. And then he ended up starting to get into scores. And then I he introduced me to a guy called Patrick Ryder who was doing short films. And that's how I got into shooting films was through short films of Patrick Ryder and then Ben would score them. <clears throat> and then it found out that he lived about a mile down the road from me. And we, we kind of started to connect and he worked, did the score for my short film um, a good few years ago. And then we've kind of just stuck together ever since. And so he's just incredible at what he does. And he was the only option when it came to hosts and, so because he lived in Mark, like then I moved to the same village as him. So it was walking distance <clears throat> to his. So during like, after we'd, we'd shot the film, I'd be over at his every day and we'd sit down and he'd be like, check out what I've just done. And I'd be like, that's amazing. How about do that 
in this chord or <clears throat> add a minor to that or something and be like yeah that's cool we'd just be vibing together and then he sold his house and actually moved in with me for two weeks to finish the score and we had the editing suite and the score suite all in the same room kind of working together and it was, it was a really really cool process and then we'd be sending the rushes to adam for his feedback and he'd be like yeah i love this bit but can you change this bit or cut to, to nothing on this point and, and we'd be like oh yeah okay that sounds good <laughs> but it was really different to what you know we uh, did so it was really nice to have that kind of fresh set of ears on it yeah i mean i love the music it's one of the hot points <coughs> for me you know it, it can make a movie and break a movie a particular scene as well gents then you've mentioned a couple of times and uh if you can't talk about it it's absolutely fine but you have mentioned obviously what you're working on next what can you tell us we can tell you that it's it's <laughs> it's utterly shocking like it really there are there are moments in it that really will shock that that, that still like i said i i'm i'm almost done now with the the first draft of the screenplay and just reading back bits um that that we'd already planned over you know we've already storyboarded this thing over the last couple of months and just reading it back written out in dialogue and 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 descriptiveness whatever you want to call it i it shocks me like some of some of the stuff is just so horrific but it's a cool story man it's it's um the underlying story is very cool and it's it's it hits home so it's mm. i guess that's as much as we can say but it's it's gonna shock and it's definitely gonna push boundaries for sure um it's ambitious but we're gonna we're certainly gonna go for it so yeah cool can't wait guys thank you so much for doing this with me Thanks for having us, man. All right. it's, been, it's been great. But talking music, before we go, you can't forget Adam, whose band uh, did the last two tracks in the film and we've been in the, the metal scene for a good few years. Course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the biggest surprising things as well as say when you start reading up about your individual careers. It's like, oh, okay. All right, yeah, this is what you do as well. Um, of course, that's, guys, that's been incredible. Thank you for this. Oh no, it's been a been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for the plug, Rich. By the way, that's all right. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash gbhbl as well as Big Cartel, where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, and of course, if you like this video, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button, and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal, what else is life for?